0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. This morning, we have the pleasure of having Pastor Keith Davis from Camden, New Jersey on with us, and Julian Miller, who's an attorney out of Tougaloo, Mississippi. So good morning, brothers. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Delighted to be here with you today, Vernon.
0: Thank you for, for taking our time to be with us. Now, you know this is Black History Month, and we're celebrating Black History Month and the theme this year is resistance and throughout the years the resistance that we've had to have to be here today after 400 years of racism and discrimination and all of the ills that have been put upon us as a as a group of people so we want to talk about what we're doing to resist in Camden and in Mississippi this racism and more importantly what we're putting forth for the future so Let's start with you, Brother Davis. What is the Camden Dream Center Technology Training School?
1: Oh, thank you for that question, Vernon. First, when we look at the corporate culture, our leadership at the Dream Center, we, we serve our, our communities through a prophetic lens. And, uh, and that's important because that takes us back to the beginning of our people in this country. And it is through that lens that we seek to address essential and core needs of families of underserved communities, both in the city in which we are located, throughout our state, the region, and the country. So you talk about resistance, you talk about how do we approach it and what the Dream Center represents. It's more of an academic, economic approach uh, to how we address the systemic needs that are in the community. Barriers that are in the way that prevent one from learning and being empowered to serve the communities and transform it in such a way that uh, it becomes systemic.
0: Barriers that
1: are in the way that keeps
0: people from learning, and how do you remove those barriers to get people to jump over top of them? Yeah, that's that's really important. So uh, Brother Miller, uh, an attorney, Tugaloo, Mississippi, what do you guys do to help to remove these barriers?
2: Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Vernon, for a chance to be, be here and to talk about the work that we're doing uh, with the Reuben D. Anderson Center for Justice, which I co-founded. So, you know, the center is uh, named after Reuben D. Anderson, who was probably the most transformative civil rights attorney uh, and leader in Mississippi. He was the first African-American graduate of the University of Mississippi School of Law, and he was responsible as a lawyer with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. He literally was responsible for integrating every public school in the state of Mississippi. Uh, literally as part of their legal team, and so uh, he became the first African American Supreme Court Justice for Mississippi, and a prodigious lawyer and philanthropist who was alumnus of College, and so he wanted to leverage his legacy uh, to transform Mississippi, essentially. Uh, he knew how to do that, uh, <laughs> but, he, but he had a vision for it, and he knew that he wanted um, to uh, leverage the resources of Mississippi organizations doing transformative work uh, in the areas of economic justice, public health equity educational equity and criminal justice equity, and he wanted to build synergy and collaboration and coalitions of these organizations to, again, um, make systemic change in Mississippi. And a big part of that work, you know, I could, we could have a whole separate show talking about all the work of the Anderson Center, but for the purposes of this uh, program, what we're doing, and how we connected, the biggest areas is around economic justice. And so what we did uh, for economic justice work, the primary focus is building cooperative food systems throughout Mississippi to capture the six billion dollar food market for uh, BIPOC communities uh, of, of color in the state. Of course, Mississippi has the um, largest black population of any state by percentage, but of course it's the most economically oppressed, and I know you all have seeing what's going on with the city of Jackson and everything uh, that's been going on there, of course we'll talk more about it, but what will ultimately cure these ills, this economic failure that we've suffered for them for centuries is the capacity of economic security around food system development. So we started a food system at Tougaloo College where i just answer distinguished alumnus, where I uh, have been on faculty for four years, come next month, uh, where we established the institute, we work with Tougaloo students uh, to do this work in these four areas, but particularly building our sustainable food system uh, to develop it as a work-owned cooperative and leverage that to build a sustainable food systems throughout the state to capture a multi-billion dollar market so our health can uh, feed our economic security. And we all can deal with these other societal ills in other areas I spoke of.
0: You said a mouthful, bro. <laughs> said, turn, turn you on, okay? Economic justice is the main focus we're going to talk about today, and this is what co-op is so so important and why you're on today to talk about, and it's food systems, food justice you're talking about. So, brother Davis, in in your school in Camden Dream Center, that's a STEM school science technology what are you doing in the food security arena
1: yeah great great question so currently we are exploring leveraging our backgrounds as engineers and technologists on how each of the four stem domains that would be science technology engineering and mathematics leads directly to skills development and also improve academic outcomes to prepare our young people who are enrolled let's say in career technical education programs so we have partnerships with school districts and colleges and universities and so in high schools these CTE programs now where students are participating in these programs can now have a career path in the ag Space. Now we do this work uh, currently by uh, hydroponic farming systems, and that's what's being developed over the I, past I, year. I'm, I'm
0: sorry, Brother Davis, but I just got to cut you off because you you're in Camden, New Jersey. You're in an urban area, and you're talking about farming in an urban area. Do I have you right? That's what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're city. We're we're definitely city. You know, brick, brick mortar, concrete. You know, hard I I
0: get in Mississippi talking about this, but Camden, New Jersey, you're talking about farming. You're talking about growing food.
1: That's what's so interesting and intriguing in that you could produce in one urban farm, which is a container in our particular case, equivalent to four to five acres of traditional farming. And so we're looking at stem. I mean, you're talking about coat it and grow it how science, technology, engineering, and mathematics is part of an urban farm in the Northeast. Because these these skills that kids are learning in these CTE programs are the same skills that are ubiquitous in most high-paying jobs and often lead to successful careers. So from a school perspective, we're seeing how uh, an urban farm Leveraging it through school systems, getting kids excited about STEM, but also around the whole subject of food sustainability and, and sovereignty, it makes a lot of sense. And so we're we're thrilled over being able to roll this program out.
0: It's exciting. I taught math and science in my early career, my first career. I taught middle school math and science, and then I taught at the college level mathematics. So. I have found that whether they're college or middle school or elementary, any level, if you can get them to get their hands into the work, we're talking about math, yeah. but how do you get yeah. them yeah. into the work so that the the knowledge becomes alive? And that's what I'm hearing you talk about. And that's, oh, yeah, yeah. You're, it's, talking it's,
1: about, you're talking about IOT, the sensors. You're talking about scripting, writing uh, scripts that would impact directly your yield, we're talking about youngsters being exposed to science, <laughs> so we strongly believe in this vision, and potentially we believe that it can reduce, if not altogether eliminate, many of the issues that we find in black and brown communities across America each and every day.
0: All right, so I get it. You're going through the stomach, okay, okay, <laughs> 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 to get folks to enjoy STEM. Grandmom
1: yep. said, if you want that young man to marry you, you got to get him through the stomach. <laughs>
0: That's extremely exciting, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM program by agriculture in the city. Now, you said for you as a container. Are you talking about like a 18-wheeler, those kind of containers? Oh,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. You're talking about a farm that you, you, you drop it and it's already ready to go and it's a proven technology that's being used around the world. And currently, my team, we're doing all of the engineering and the environmental studies and so forth to determine how many do we need, the partnerships that are necessary in the community in order to launch this successfully. And again, our work cuts across, you know, these other domains of academics and economics. So you talk about opportunities to teach entrepreneurship, how to monetize and now create your own food system that for years in in our community, particularly as a pastor, we've had a food pantry for 30 years, but we've been relying on a charitable model. So now we're producing food. Now it becomes an economic engine Mm -hmm. within our communities to really employ people and, Teach the skills uh, of entrepreneurship as we partner with our local colleges and universities to actually bring professors into our setting, into our school, to leverage those assets that exist in our communities. It addresses food insecurity, obviously, but it also contributes toward an improved health and well-being for those who are participating because studies uh, bear out uh, whatever kids are doing. If they're growing the food, they will eat the food, and as a result, be mm. transformed as a result of eating the carrots and the, and the vegetables that's grown in the farm. We know that these areas, whether you're talking academics, the food, the health and well-being in a community uh, poverty, right? It's all cyclical. These are the cyclical conditions that contribute to what we see. They're all related. But we see our urban farm as being uh, a solution that addresses all of those in a way that it causes one to be empowered through what they've learned.
0: Wow. I could have had a show with either one of you for two hours. <laughs> this is extremely exciting. Brother Miller, we're going to take our first break here in a minute, and I want to come back, and I want you to talk about this whole thing. Of this, you talked about economic justice. And you just heard Pastor Davis talk about how these students can learn how to grow it from a scientific standpoint, from a technology standpoint, in a container. And you are in Mississippi, and I assume you're working with the farmers, and you're going from farmers to the table, from the farm to the table. And I want you to explain to how that is working, particularly for the students and what they're getting out of. It. But we'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. And we have Brother Miller, um, an attorney out of Mississippi, the Ruben V. Anderson Center for Justice out of Tougaloo, and Brother Pastor Keith Davis out of New Jersey. So before the break, Brother Davis had talked to us about growing food in containers in Camden, New Jersey in the rural area, and he said he can grow food the same as in this container and get the same production as four to five acres on the farm. And now we're going to talk to Brother Miller. They are working on a lot of things in this center, but right now we're focusing on economic justice and building co-op food systems. So, Brother Miller, tell us about this co-op food system. What is that and how does it go from the farm to the table? How do you work
2: back? Of course, so my background for um, well fifteen years, I, I didn't have poverty work in the Mississippi Delta region where I'm from originally. I'm a fifth generation Delta, and so uh, we had started an organization there called Delta Fresh Foods Initiative where we we're trying to build community food systems in the Delta counties, the, you know, which is the Delta region, Mississippi Delta region, uh, is the second poorest region in the United States behind Appalachia. And it the second what poorest region in the United States behind Appalachia?
0: So you're and, saying when I grew up in Bluefield, we were poor, poorer than y'all in, in Mississippi. That's yes.
2: Okay. Yeah, and the Delta, and two thirds oddly enough, and two thirds of all of the African Americans in the state of Mississippi live in the Mississippi Delta, and it's two thirds African American. So local growers only captured zero point zero 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 four percent of that market. Uh, most of it's important. It's a one point four billion dollar market. So. I co-founded Delta Fresh Foods Initiative to rectify that by working with farmers. Okay. So we had an issue with sustainable food systems. Um, We were trying to develop sustainable food systems in the Mississippi Delta. So when we founded the Anderson Center, the goal was to begin that work, to parlay that work, in trying to do the urban food system model because Tougaloo is located in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, which is the only urban area in Mississippi. And so, we developed it on the campus of Tougaloo College, uh, working with our students, uh, with our project lead, Roderick Woods, who's, phenomenal, who's a Tougaloo alumnus. And we worked with the students both to build production through use uh, of high tunnels on campus, and then, of course, uh, around that, build a marketing strategy to connect with vendors and growers uh, to support and build and try to scale that market. And so uh, the, pro- the project is- will be three years old in April. And since that time, you know, we produce produced uh, thousands of pounds of produce. Uh, we build partnerships with Feeding America and uh, our, its local Mississippi Food Network uh, to supply uh, food for their food distributions. Uh, we did a fresh foods exchange event where we brought local vendors to the table to sort of to build these relationships with so we can uh, uh, provide our produce to them so we can begin to scale the project. And now we completed a business plan and now we're looking at uh, expanding the farm by 50 acres. So Tougaloo sits on uh, 500 acres of land uh, about, we're using about maybe 40 to 50 of those acres for the main campus and so we want to begin to expand our project and scale it so uh, it can be such a multi-million dollar social enterprise for the benefit of the you know, Tougaloo College which is an HBCU as well as the surrounding Jackson community which is 82 percent African American. And we also want to what well, you know, make that model sustainable to be able to replicate throughout the state with other BIPOC communities?
0: So, are you going to create a co-op or several co-ops in this process?
2: It'll be several co-ops. It'll be so the idea of it is, is we have a partnership with the Mississippi Food Justice Collaborative, and the idea is we would facilitate food system development throughout the state. So it'll be multiple sort of co-ops, some local, some you know, we think some local, some regional. Because I think the issue is, you know, we have some of the best farmers in the world, but I think that you know, there just hasn't been an incentive to think about how to work cooperatively, collaboratively to build these food systems and how to also cultivate the local food market. That's another issue too. It's also part of the Anderson Center work, our public health equity work. We are doing uh, projects called doing food as medicine projects in the Delta as well. Uh, we in partnership with Tufts University. And Delta Health Center, we got a $6.6 million NIH grant. And so we're going to provide access to locally grown fresh produce for six months weekly to 300 participants who have chronic health conditions such as obesity and diabetes. And then we're of course, going to measure their health outcomes, A1C levels, their weight, and track that. And based upon the results of that study, we're going to make policy recommendations for Medicare and Medicaid dollars to be used to pay for locally grown fresh foods the same way it pays for prescription drugs. So that will not only address public health disparities through preventative health means, it will also cultivate the individual market in order to make this food system sustainable and scalable. So we're trying to kill multiple birds with one stone this work. Or you're trying to keep black people alive, okay,
0: okay, amen. you know that's a hallelujah. Yet, yeah, was that 5.5 million dollar grant from 6. NIH? 6.6 million. Six point six million dollar grant from NIH to study the benefits of nutritional food on health. Yes. Okay. I, I'd like that. Now, Pastor Davis, I saw you looking while my brother was talking. What did you think about all of what he just said?
1: I have such an admiration for Julian Miller's work and his passion uh, with it. Couple of things that I found quite intriguing. One of which is the social determinants of health. It's it's more than one thing. You know, when we look at the condition of the community, you know, I'm a believer that it's a people up model, and that's what I hear, and that's what we've all embraced because I think we both share in common the fact that we've received grant funding from Feeding America, and we both work in partnership with our local food banks and so it is a collaboration that i'm looking currently at how does the collaboration becomes a cooperation and and so we're still feeling that out and I'm, I'm confident that um that that transformation will take place where historically it's always been top down you know we will tell you what we're going to do in your community but um When I retired from my day job, which I owned a systems integration company for 30 years, my my initial goal was to transform our local community by building a $50 million a year business. And I was extremely successful at running my business. But it came to a point where I realized that it is not just economic. It's more systemic and involves other domains in that community. And one of the things that I'm hearing now is, from our mission perspective, In order to transform community, you know, I'm looking to do that because starting with our community, in which I've pastored for decades, and looking at it from a prophetic voice and seeking how to galvanize all these assets in the entire community, that includes anchor institutions, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, and definitely have residents at the table. I've been to many meetings in the past where you have all these talking heads. And you don't have anyone from the community involved, and their voice isn't being heard. And so we need all these major stakeholders to be at the table when you implement kinds of programs like that. And that's what I'm hearing that's been achieved uh, there in Brother Miller's uh, vision. It's so exciting to hear it.
0: Extremely exciting, sir, both of you. So, Brother Miller, you're the, you're the youngest uh, on on this show today. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I feel old. <laughs> You feel? <laughs> how did you get into this work run us real quick through how you end up at Tougaloo
2: like I, said, I was a fifth generation Mississippi Delta I was raised in a very small rural town of about 199 people and what's the name of it Winstonville Winstonville okay yes and so my great-grandmother and then my grandmother ran a corner store there for you know and it existed for like 70 plus years and so because of that little store I had a I was was a small town, so you really knew everybody for the most part, but definitely was able to connect to everyone through that environment, through that experience, and so, you know, it kind of was forced upon me. It it informed that I knew I wanted a career that, you know, that would make some kind of a difference because I was so connected to the people, not just my family, but the people in my community, so close-knit, and so uh, I thought it was going to be medicine, but uh, I like politics, I like public service, and I thought, you know, you can give someone life worth living do that venue as opposed to medicine where you keep them, keep them from dying when they simply don't have to. So I went to College in the Northeast and committed to being a lawyer and then I, before I went to law school, I did three years of anti-poverty work in the Mississippi Delta. And that's when I had started to work with Dutch Fresh Foods that because of the importance, because the, the food system work had the advantage of both addressing public health disparities as well as economic insecurity and economic justice, I felt that it was the perfect vehicle to sort of commit to that work. And then, you know, the revenue that's generated from the social enterprise can be used to address other areas. We'll,
0: we'll be right back. I'm going to pick up on that when we get back. Everybody out there, please don't touch that down. News Talk 1450 WOLA. is everything co-op uh, brother davis is out of camden new jersey and bro- brother miller uh, is out of mississippi Tugaloo. brothers we've been on air now nine years and the national cooperative bank has been our sponsor those nine years ncb has just been a great 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 partner their mission is to support and be an advocate for america's cooperatives and their members especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So, brothers, it sounds like Mississippi is a low-income community and also Camden, New Jersey. So it may be if you're looking for money, particularly for food co-ops and and other types of co-ops, you might want to reach out to them to see about getting your funding. You can tell them that Vernon sent you. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Brother Miller, you were talking about uh, growing up in this huge metropolitan area of 199 people, and your 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 peoples were rich because you had a business, a convenience store.
2: <laughs> oh, you call it that? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: And you got a sense of what you wanted to do. You thought it was going to be medicine, but you ended up in law and political science. So, uh, keep telling about how you end up at Tougaloo.
2: So, yes, yeah, so, you know, the food system work got committed for 15 years. When I became a lawyer, you know, I, um, I did most of civil litigation, civil and appellate litigation. Uh, I had an opportunity, worked for like, the biggest firm in the state at the time, and I had an opportunity to do a, a case with the Mississippi Department of Education uh, where we were looking into state, you know, test cheating, where, where a particular school that had cheated on state tests and they were looking to our firm to investigate, uh, and prosecute licensure hearings related to that. So, uh, the the chief lawyer at the time uh, who was going to work on this case was Raina Anderson, who was the daughter of Reuben Anderson. And so we had a chance to work that case. Oh my goodness, been on for like three years, and we had a chance to work together in that case and become you know build a friendship. And she was someone who was you know was an amazing attorney in her own right and wanted to sort of leverage her father's legacy to help transform Mississippi. And so with that, you know. Discussions. The thought was to start the center uh, with the goal of leveraging resources to build collaboration and coalitions amongst institutions and community organizations to address these issues: significant social problems, economic disparity, issues, economic disparity. So, so yeah. So from that, you know, I had joined the faculty of Tougaloo because Just Anderson and Raina both are Tougaloo alumni, uh, alumni, distinguished Tougaloo alumnus. In fact, Just Anderson is the most distinguished Tuvalu alumnus, and so. Uh, they wanted the work to be centered at Tougaloo for the center and uh to both engage and educate students you know the next generation and train the next generation of social justice advocates in doing this work on the ground and learning you know and build careers and train be trained in their own right from that experience and so yeah I joined the faculty of Tougaloo and we started the Anderson Institute uh mm-hmm. at Tougaloo which is an offset of the center the institute is to the college and the center is the nonprofit that it works with to and other organizations doing this work. And so, yeah, and so that and the rest was history. And so we've had a chance really to work with amazing organizers and, and, and advocates and professionals and organizations in these areas, not just economic justice work, but in the other areas that I mentioned. And our students to really do transformative work and really build a model both for training the next generation of social justice advocates as well as doing the systemic work and advancing the systemic work necessary to really, really uh, make a difference and improve the lives of people of color and and, and all people really.
0: So I would like for you to come back in a few minutes and talk about some examples of students, particularly as it relates to this food justice, this economic justice. But Brother Davis, how did you get into your work? It sounds like from the little I've gotten so far, You've just had a tremendous array of, of background in your career. You had your own business for 30 years. You've been a pastor. You you helped to set up this center for education. So you're an educator, a pastor, an uh, entrepreneur. You have a whole lot of things going on for you. So can you give us a two-minute version of your history?
1: Yeah. You know, when I was listening to Julian speak on his experience the one thing that continued to resonate with me is this seemingly a paradigm shift has taken place the mindset of where nonprofits are functioning today don't have time to speak to the origin of nonprofits and where that 501c3 was first legislated and why it came about you'll set that I'm going to set that aside for a minute But look at how innovative and resilient we are to take that piece of legislation to build social enterprise, social enterprise. I mean, we should just have one session where we talk about not this old model of nonprofit, depending on a charitable system, but rather a a paradigm shift that enables us to build value in the marketplace and generate revenue that funds. Our social passion and convictions. And I've heard Julian mention that more than once, directly and a couple of times indirectly. So I think with his background and my background, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've, I never had a job, you know, right, right from uh, Bible college, realized I wanted to have ministry in the inner cities and they couldn't afford really to pay me a salary. Uh, that wouldn't even take care of my family, so I've always been an entrepreneur. Back then we just called it a legal hustle. And so I've been very (laughs) fortunate and blessed to build multi-million dollar companies through being a technologist. So let me just leave that there. But the work that we are doing today, gentlemen, and Julian understands this because it's it's oozing out of him, that it requires, you know, the participation of key stakeholders in every community. Communities that we want to create that impact and communities that we're serving in, it requires collaboration, it requires partnership. And so when we look at our implementation, we're looking at connecting and developing relationships with all the anchor institutions in that community along with industry, industry that is serving the interest of that community. Uh, It includes the local school systems, right, Mm -hmm. and higher ed, and and building those pipelines from K to 12 and beyond, because we have relationships with the universities as well. But you also need those nonprofits, and you need communities of faith. You know, like myself, I am, you know, (laughs) without question, I'm a pastor. My day job. I did a funeral this morning, before uh, before this show, right? Mm-hmm. And six o'clock, I ran a uh, a regional six a.m. prayer meeting, and I do that Monday through Friday. But also four o'clock this morning, I was pumping iron and on the treadmill. So these are the principles. It's it's a holistic approach to transforming our community to think more intentionally about improving our quality of life because. You know, we pray for and we work with our our local political people all the time, but they're not going to impose that on us. We need to impose that on ourselves. So the communities of faith, a new model in nonprofits is essential and extremely important in order to improve the local businesses, both small and large. And so a paradigm shift, incorporating social enterprise mentalities that spurs entrepreneurship, and I and I remember I'll say this and I stopped my nephew, you know, when he was released from prison, did five years in prison because he wanted to be an illegal entrepreneur. Uh, well, today when he came out, he wanted to work with reentry people, people who were in prison. I said, son, you need to bank first. Get out of this nonprofit area, and get yourself a business. Today's a multimillionaire and does make money legally. Put him in a position where he can marry a physician, and his life is totally transformed. Totally. And so it was always there for him. But we need role models, role models. people who are modeling what it means to be truly successful. So, in my opinion, the new, the new nonprofit paradigm shift needs to take place, uh, as you see clearly exemplified by uh, Julian, Julian's organization, and the Camden Dream Center.
0: So I've got a. A lot of respect for you, brothers, and it sounds like there's a lot of mutual respect going here. But this whole thing on this incarceration, Dr. Jessica Gordon Nimhard uh, chaired a conference yesterday on co-ops that help incarcerated people, and uh, she was looking at Italy, Puerto Rico, and Peru of uh, what's going on. But there's also a, a place, ChiFres, that provides food for institutions, for schools out of Chicago, and five incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people started that co-op uh, to do that. So there's a lot of places we can work. And so Camden, New Jersey, what I looked at, 33% of the people, one-third of the people in Camden are in poverty. You said that a lot of people in Mississippi are in poverty, and in Camden, was it 80% of the population is black and brown? some huge number in Camden and same thing in in Mississippi in the black belt the only difference for most of us and the reason I wanted to bring up this poverty is whether we got from incarcerated or not incarcerated is whether we got mixed up with the law whether we did something wrong or not just getting mixed up with the law can cause you to go to jail and that we poverty so all of these programs is to help people whether they were incarcerated formerly incarcerated or not formerly incarcerated the poor Poor people up out of poverty so i'm i'm excited about what you guys are doing and what i would like to ask you now and start with you brother miller if can you give examples of either students that you know and what they what they have reported back to you they've learned because when i when i taught uh i want to put a plug for howard university i taught five years at howard uh in their marketing program um business school and uh great great students so I'm I'm always interested in what are the students learning and if when you can give them what you two guys are giving them hands on you can go out and talk to the clients or create these things then that that book knowledge becomes alive so what are some examples you've got for what students are learning
2: Oh wow! You know, do we have time for another show? So, <laughs> well, well, uh, the two Agri- so the two Agri- growth initiative project is run by our students, essentially. Let's
0: say that again. What does run?
2: The Tugaloo Agro Growth Initiative, our food system project. Okay. Is run by the students. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so they uh, so besides the fact they learn agriculture, you know, obviously, you know, uh, high tunnel production, different growing methods, and actually doing the work, actually building the garden. They also learn about marketing. So, you know, they set up, a, they did a marketing campaign for our for our project. They did, for example, they did a, that was a heart healthy initiative. I think it's 49% of all black women have some form of heart disease. All black women over 20 had some form of heart disease. Wow. Uh, some kind of statistic like that. So they did a whole heart healthy initiative around that to promote our garden and local eating. You know, they did an event for Earth Day that they promoted. They, you know, organized, they helped us prepare presentations for, for funders and you know, the course and then uh, the student founder of the organization was an economics major. So he understood about how about scaling and, you know, yield and how pricing can produce yield and how much profit you can make. And so they're a big part of that helping shape our business plan uh, as we're preparing for our expansion and scaling. So they cover all aspects of it and get all of these amazing skills now that they otherwise would get that, they can probably in the career. And the best part is they're getting paid living in wages. Now they'll tell you the biggest thing also too additional to skills and the experience Is the money? Uh, Okay, we pay them living wages, and that was the biggest thing because we wanted to get a labor force that didn't believe in the stigma around farming, and you know, can obviously connect to child slavery, sharecropping. Uh, So we pay them living wages, and the idea is we're developing this as a food system where there'll be owners. Uh, and have a stake in it. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, so it's really transformative what it does for them as far as skill sets as far as building well.
0: We'll be right back, everybody. This is exciting. Yeah, we could use two or three more hours. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that, down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. We have Julian Miller, uh, attorney, and Pastor Keith Davis. So, Brother Miller, you were talking about the kinds of things that students are learning, and you you mentioned a couple of things that that I like as a f- educator, and that is that they get hands on, they get to they did, get to do programmatic kinds of things, so that the knowledge comes in, it comes alive, it, you know, yes. it's like it becomes a part of them, not just book reading and that you're talking about a law school but there you say that the economics person have to set it up they had a marketing plan a business plan and so they're learning a whole bunch of skills not just legal
2: well, these are undergraduates but no let me clarify ah these are undergrads tukulu is an undergraduate institution Now, i do the anderson center uh we have a educational and policy at missy college law school so we do have a program with Local law school in Jackson, but no, these are for the undergrads too. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Okay, yeah, these are the undergrads and so, and that's the model for our program. is experiential learning, because uh, that and that's you know we replicate that model in our other programs, you know, for the Anderson and the Anderson Institute. But yeah, I think that that was and, and that that was important as well because uh, the biggest sort of barrier with food to work generally is building a workforce is essentially get you know getting over that stigma that connects farming, especially in, you know, the black, people, especially in somewhere like Mississippi, to sharecropping and child slavery. And so getting this new generation of, 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 of young people interested in building a career, committed to building up food system work with the idea that this can be very, very lucrative when you look at the size of the market and the very, very significantly minuscule market share that especially BIPOC growers and farmers' food just organizations have and seeing the potential in this, and so we give them these opportunities. We want them to learn. We want to build skill sets. Of course, we want to pay them. you want know, to make money. But to see the potential, so they can be involved, and we can have a labor base that can actually, you know, quit because it's going to take some time. And I appreciate Pastor you know, Davis. I, you know, I pay Pastor Davis for this. He's, you know, all this admiration I'm not paying him, particularly. <laughs> but I really appreciate that. And serious I'm so flattered. But it's a long way. Yes. You know, we made progress and we figured out a model, but it's a ways to go. We have a ways to go. Uh, to bring this build these coalitions and bring other farmers into this to make them see the value in working cooperatively and trying to keep, and, and trying to be strategic in capturing this this food market in a cooperative way and building up the local markets and it's a ways to go, but we're grateful that we have this generate amazing generation of young people who are, you know, who are black students who are socially conscious who want to transform their communities who want to do good but also want to do well and see the viability in in, in developing a food system working food justice work in doing that. And Fantastic. So, so that's a big part of, you know, of why we do what we do
0: uh, in that space. Fantastic. So, Brother Davis, can you give us examples of what students are learning or even some...
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to do that. One, one of the ways that I've been able to leverage my background, uh, having written and successfully operated within the government's 8A program through the Small Business Administration, for a quarter of a century, managing wrote and managed my own um, uh, program around government procurement, and so the nomenclature for the federal government. And while I am not a lawyer, I'm a I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur in that sense. I understood the nomenclature, so we uh, a year and a half ago went out and wrote a. Registered apprenticeship program with the United States Department of Labor. And uh, we currently sponsor our own. And the reason why we did this, mind you, uh, we could teach all the technology, we could teach coding, we could teach you operating systems, uh, we could teach how to lock down systems, optimize systems, and you name it. But if you don't have experience, you won't get hired.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, st- you stated that. So, again, keeping in mind so that we're consistent with the reason why I'm here today, all of this coding that we do supports urban agriculture. Uh, But also, some of these kids who are learning the coding and so forth, they'll decide one day, I love growing greens, but, you know, I'm offered a job. Our apprentices, for instance. Day one, walking in the door, I'm making 80 grand a year in oh, Maryland.
0: Fantastic. In so where
1: they will say in Maryland. I mean, by the end of year one, they had $100,000, and they're getting signing bonuses if you have experience. So, I'm very fortunate to have relationships with some of the biggest IT companies in the world, and we are a national. And I even have some things going on globally right now. So, just to give a sense of, you know, how we operate, and how we're functioning. So, with that a registered apprenticeship program, we're able to now share with our students that there's a carrot here, there there are local companies that are part of our program and they, they already understand you don't have the experience but you've paid the price to become academically sound and you've completed your coursework which is extremely rigorous. And you've certified, in many cases, that the employer now will bring you in for 2,000 hours of on-the-job learning. Again, I didn't say training. I didn't use a, a 1960 version of this. It is on-the-job learning where the local hospital, the local uh, you know, telecommunications company, the local cable company becomes an extension of our classroom. And up to one year, our students are able to apply what they've learned in theory in our classroom and apply it okay. in real-world work experience. So i uh, give you one case in point. I partner with the New Jersey Reentry Corporation that was founded by uh, former Governor Jim McGreevy. It has the c- current blessing of our, of our current governor. Uh, and uh, it's made the only major initiative, in fact, it's, it should be a, a national model for how to partner with prisons and jails in our state. And we are their supplier to teach IT. Uh, and one of their students who came through our system this past year, we, we have a process, and I want to get into uh, what that looks like. But in other words, we vet everyone. This individual uh, passed that vetting process. Gave him a series of courses. He aced them all and was certified. And so we gave him another challenge, gave him another series of courses to take, and he certified there. Well, you you know, we supported him with an application uh, to a company. Now, I don't mind mentioning the company, Cisco. Cisco is the company that hires, wired the Super Bowl last week. They hired him, Mm. blew him to Arizona put him in a hotel and he wired up the super bowl he's coming back when he comes back to new jersey there's a job available uh, for him on a permanent basis that's how that's one example of how our model is making a difference uh to eradicate poverty and and bring access to people who historically have not been a part of this it world so i'm excited about it i guess you can tell
0: Mm. i am also I am also what both of you brothers are doing, what you're both doing. So let's talk. We only have about four more minutes here, four or five minutes. So, where do you see the future, uh, Brother Miller? Can you give us a couple minutes on what's the future look like for blacks in Mississippi in the U.S. and this program? How does it?
2: Well, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I believe in my lifetime uh, that through this work and a particularly building coalition statewide and also a lot of what our partners are doing, you know, Pastor Davis and our Initiative Feed America and the Food Security and Equity Impact Fund, we also have national partners developing an initiative, um, organizations like Share Strength are looking uh, to, to help support the development of BIPOC food systems and food justice work regionally and nationally. I think, I, I'm cautiously optimistic to say that I believe that, uh, again, in my lifetime, that we will build a coalition of farmers and food justice organizations and BIPOC-led communities to capture the $6 billion food market in Mississippi and um, alleviate poverty and essentially transform our communities economically. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, of, you know, Well, you probably are aware of everything that's going on in the city of Jackson, uh, with not only its water crisis, but now there's the, the legislature has, the, the, the legislature has well, passed legislation that is um, going to create essentially this apartheid system in Jackson that would essentially uh, a colleague calls it the white line, uh, the white sections of Jackson, and in, increase the police force, appoint uh, 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 judges and prosecutors, and expand this police force by our white leadership. You know, it's, I kid you not, this is literally happening, and it's all going to be funded by 18% sales tax from the city of Jackson, predominantly 82% uh, black city of Jackson, to fund this this white uh, city within a city. And so it's, you know, it's not just, you know, um, it's not just uh, gentrification on steroids. It's also, you know, extracting the wealth of a black owned city and to protect the white section of it. And a big part of their loss of you know wealth is that you had significant white flags. So I say all this to say there is very little political power in our state. Our state is predominantly white and very conservative uh, as our state leadership. But the political power will be in building wealth in building black owned of black-managed wealth to build our own communities, invest in our communities, and, and therefore de facto have political power to you know determine how we live our lives, how we work, how we grow, how we educate our children, uh, how we deal with issues in our community. And so that's that's what this movement is so powerful uh, around food systems and economic security. So I believe it will continue to advance. I believe it will be a, will be a model that will capture wealth. Uh, and alleviate, alleviate poverty, make these communities uh, politically and economically independent. And it can be replicated throughout the region and throughout the country.
0: Fantastic. Particularly with the co-op base. I like that. Brother yes. Davis, what about you? Where do you see the future?
1: I I, I agree with everything Julian yeah. has said. And, yeah, he pays me big money for agreeing with him, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I I just see the shift then. You know, I believe deeply in what we're currently doing, and I believe that the future is going to be great because I'm seeing a change. I've been in uh, business for decades, and I've never seen a sincere um, heartfelt um, desire for diversity, equity, and inclusion as I see it today and we've got we uh,
0: got to quit there i'm sorry we have a
1: window we have a window and so window. that's we need to seize it
0: let's go through it everybody everybody out there we'll see you next Thursday please live cooperatively News talk 14:15 w o l a m where information is power